You're listening to the SWAT Agronomy Podcast, the show for people who leverage the latest in technology to solve agronomic problems. If you're interested in on-farm application of precision ag technology, you've come to the right place. Get ready as we unpack the insights and experiences of the agronomic minds leading our industry forward. Today on the SWAT Agronomy Podcast. So if you're in agronomy, have a support network. Whether it's extensions, whether it's your customers, whether it's your peers, have a good support network. It's great to be the leader, but it's also great to understand that there are other good leaders out there and know what they know and understand what they're trying to tell their customers at the same time. Mark Huso of Huso Crop Consulting and Soil Testing joins the show. Mark and I talk about how he's working with farmer customers during this dry year they're having in North Dakota, how he's training the next generation of agronomists, technology he finds useful, what he's still learning about salinity, and some of his thoughts for the future of agronomy. If this is the first time you've joined us for the SWAT Agronomy Podcast, welcome. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm a communications consultant and ag tech geek and the host of the show. I've partnered with the SWAT Maps team on this podcast, and we hope you'll join us as we explore where the latest in agronomy meets the latest in technology. Today, Mark Huso joins us from Lakota, North Dakota, in the eastern part of the state. After working in ag retail, Mark decided to start his own company about 10 years ago, doing independent crop consulting. He works with a variety of crops in the area, including cereal grains, canola, corn, edible beans, soybeans, and sunflowers. Yeah, I was a retail agronomist for probably 10 years. And then in 2011, we had a nice model at the elevator. We were doing crop consulting and we were subsidizing your crop consulting with your retail business. So if you bought all your seed, fertilizer, chemical within our retail unit, uh, your crop consulting became heavily discounted. But there were certainly still farmers that were just using us for crop consulting and not buying a dollar of inputs from us. So we had both tiers. It got to a point where... I found myself more engaged with crop consulting versus becoming a salesman. I enjoyed the challenges of both, but I simply wanted to be my own boss, but I didn't want to be my own boss as a salesman. So crop consulting was my avenue, crop consulting and soil testing, doing variable rate all at the same time. I had enough of the connections with the farmers that said, hey, I want to go on my own, yes or no. And for the most part, it was yes. Started with, I think, 12 or 13 farmers in 2011, and this year we have 50 farms. One thing that Mark says he's always been a big advocate for is developing a support network to constantly be learning and growing. He says he's benefited greatly from relationships he has with other independent crop consultants in the area. And I think that's a great starting place for today's conversation. But in my area, there's a fair amount of crop consultants, good experience. I like to say we're working more together now than we ever have because the job is simply that challenging. And even though I run my own business, I like to talk to the group of peers that are east, west, north, south of me, because they're having the same challenges. I'm not really competing against them for market share. I'm competing against the situations we're all seeing in the fields. And so we're sharing that insight amongst each other. And what are some of those situations uh, this year that are particularly challenging? This year for us is how dry it has been, uh, northeast North Dakota. Well. I think all of North Dakota is short of moisture. Northeast North Dakota typically has never had this challenge. We seem to get timely rains. We seem to get a lot of snowfall in the wintertime. And we had no snow 
and we've had no rain for about eight, nine months now. And that has been the primary challenge is uh, what herbicides we should be using in these conditions, what planting depth should we be planting wheat, barley, canola, pinot beans, corn, you name it. That's been the challenges as of right now. Thankfully, we have some rain in the forecast coming, but we've had rain in the forecast coming the last month and it hasn't shown up. So uh, we're putting more prayers into this one. Yeah, absolutely. And what are you advising as far as you mentioned kind of different herbicide recommendations, different planting depths? I guess what are the biggest changes farmers are making to try to account for the lack of moisture? So I've made my decision to be focused on whatever we can do to conserve moisture. That's what we're doing. So we're changing certain herbicides programs to conserve moisture. And uh, less tillage passes, what I'm trying to get to these guys using more coulters, not using cultivators, not using the heavy tillage equipment. So that'll mean more burn downs, uh, but going with that, it hasn't rained. So weeds aren't growing. And so we're not doing a lot of chemical applications for burn downs at the moment because the weeds aren't out there. But yeah, our, our primary challenge right now is to save moisture. We're doing everything we can to do that. I saw a tweet on your, your Twitter feed, and I don't know if it was you or your brother, but one of you was talking about how you had convinced him to either try strip tillage or at least try strip tillage, you know, ahead of corn in the spring. Can you talk about that a little bit? We've had uh, that tool for about three or four years. And uh, my brother is primarily a no-till, min-till farmer. His biggest challenge for row crops was how to get the fertilizer in the ground where he wanted it. And so he invested money into that strip till rig and we use it. I think that our first fall was 2016. And we got most of his corn done, some pinot beans done, and compared against his traditional program. And the strip till, it conserved moisture, it put the fertilizer where we wanted it, and those fields had higher yields than his traditional fertilizer program. Since then, we've had miserable falls, too wet, too cold, froze too early, and we simply haven't been able to use it. Last fall, it was very nice. We got 90% of his corn ground fertilized in the fall. We got 100% of his pinot beans fertilized in the fall with that strip till rig. So this spring, he was able to go right into those fields and plant. We had good moisture for the most part, uh, excellent moisture overall, but uh, we're very happy we got to utilize that this spring. Very cool. And you're, you're located right by the, the railroad tracks, I hear. <laughs> yes, I'm inside my office, but I am located right next to railroad tracks. That is for sure. <laughs> you hear all that grain going by every day. Yep. Uh, no, that's cool. And and how has the uh, technology piece of how you you know service your farmer customers? How has that changed? You know what you use in terms of technology. It's changed due to several factors. It's changed to college kids coming home. You know, a 56 year old farmer doesn't have the same demands that a kid coming home from college has. You know, they just paid 40 some thousand dollars for the college education. They learned about variable rate, now they want to use it. So traditionally, we started using technology in the form of variable rate to minimize our costs on minimal production land. And so that's where we started to use it. The saline areas, the saline flats, the hilltops, let's not spend $500 an acre on those areas. Let's spend 50 bucks an acre on those areas. So our focus was to use technology to help us save on fertilizer costs. We've been doing this probably 15 years. And at the same time, I'm watching farmers 
that are still very successful not use any technology. The only technology they're really doing is updating their equipment. They might have precision planting on their planter. They might have aim command on their new case sprayer or exact apply on a John Deere sprayer. They've incorporated no variable rate on their farm and still doing very well. So I'm kind of playing devil's advocate on both sides. About half my acres are 100% variable rate. The other half is probably mostly flat rate, but still 30% variable rate on their farm, just getting their feet wet. So as we've moved along, I've tried to enhance our mapping, enhance the variable rate. And that's when SWAT maps came about about two, three years ago, watching it on social media. I wanted to do everything I could in my business to not have to use SWAT maps. Let's get better at this. Let's be more hands-on in the field. I want to make the best maps we possibly can without having to use SWAT maps. And I couldn't do that. And when I heard Corey at a presentation, I think it was probably three years ago, and got to meet him, I realized he has figured it out. I haven't. Let me pay attention to what he has to say. What other technology are you, know, are you using to help serve your customers other than SWAT maps? Traditionally, you know, zone sampling has been very important. Uh, we've built those maps through aerial imagery, uh, satellite imagery, and yield data over the years. It's providing a lot of solutions we need in terms of managing our fertilizer programs. We've learned a lot from that. That's probably our number one form of technology. The second thing is our scouting software. Like I say, 11 years ago, it was write our notes on a piece of paper, hand it into the farmer, and there's your sprayer X. As the work staff grew and uh, the maps got bigger, just in terms of, okay, we're, we're going to scout this area today. I was simply using the old plat books, copying them together, and it got to be impossible. So we incorporated iPads onto all our four-wheelers about three years ago. And uh, so now each scout knows where they are within the route itself, where they are within the field. They're able to save geo-reference spots on the iPads. They're able to take pictures with those iPads if they see a, a field of wheat and it's got a two-pass skip. They take a picture of that skip, save it on the iPad, it goes to the cloud, it goes right to the farmer's phone, boom, you got a wheat skip right here. Same thing for a uh, chemical skip when you have herbicide mistakes. Outside the variable rate, the iPads, uh, the, the software for our field scouting has really uh, taken shape and improved over the years. And is that how you kind of communicate with them, as, uh, with the field scouts as well, is to know what they're seeing, you're watching, uh, what they're putting into that app as well? So no, we still scout with pen and paper. And uh, they scout with pen and paper to document the field. Those papers still come to me. I go through them. They go to a, a data entry secretary. She puts everything into the iPad. The iPad is basically to show them what the scout saw the week prior and to give them a heads up of what this field was going to look like and if the previous scout missed something the week prior. So it's there for data records. They're not inputting any uh, scouting information into the iPad. They're simply looking, reviewing what was there before, then they're georeferencing special marks within the field. It sounds like you're using college students maybe more than other companies that may do similar work to you. And maybe tell me how that got started and what that looks like. It got started on the retail level uh, 10, 15 years ago, working at the elevator locally here in town. And we just realized that we couldn't handle the workload 
that we were promising these farmers. At the same time, the agronomy field in the retail world was fairly was starting to grow and grow drastically. So kids needed the experience. We needed the labor. It was a perfect match. And as I started my own business, I always knew I wasn't going to be able to do it on my own. And as I grew my business, I tried to grow responsibly, keeping a certain amount of acres managed per person. There aren't a ton of demands for crop consultants in our area. There is still a strong demand for agronomy professionals and the retail level. So this gives them a chance to get some excellent field experience before they go into the agronomy world as a retail level, uh, working for a dealership, anything like that. They take what they learn from the classroom, come out to the field and see things firsthand. And, and usually they go back to their college after being in the field with me for a summer and going, man, it was so awesome to be out in the field, see the weeds, see the crops, see the diseases. So when you see it in a textbook, it's like, yep. I saw that. I understand that. And then they can share that experience with others. The benefit has been, as my business has grown and the amount of college kids has went from one to now eight, friends tell their friends. And sure, I've had a couple kids that didn't enjoy uh, working in the field and didn't enjoy riding a four-wheeler five hours a day, 10 hours a day. But for the most part, it's been a great experience for these kids. They've enjoyed it. They've learned a lot. And now they've told their friends. So now the the students are coming to me versus me having to go to the the University of Minnesota, the North Dakota States. I have Lake Region State College right here in Devil's Lake, uh, 30 miles west of me. That's been a great asset as well. But the kids are coming to me now. So that's been awesome. Very cool. What's the training look like for you? I'm, I'm curious, you know, when they come in, you know, where are they at experience-wise, education-wise? How familiar are they with what they're going to be doing and how do you get them up to speed? Most of them are very green. They might know what the crops look like, but that's it. And so I put the kids in a ranger. I got a ranger crew cab. And so I try to fit all four or five in there at a time. A couple of kids will hop on four wheelers and we simply go field to field to field. I provide them a 40 page workbook. It has pictures of all the scenarios that I think will present themselves in the season. And uh, I ask them to memorize that ahead of time. But of course, it doesn't always happen. But we simply go field to field, weed to weed, crop to crop. This is what you're going to see. This is how I want you to identify it. This is the growth stage. This is the size of it. And go from there. So right now, I've been busy in the office and in the field with my farmers. So my two full-time employees, Brent Messner and Landon Wood, they've been the ones training the scouts. And now this week is getting pretty ramped up. Next week is going to be our full-scale scouting and so now we debrief at the end of the day. What did you see? What aren't you seeing? What questions do you have? So the next day becomes easier. That's so cool. And what, what's the most tricky part for them to kind of grasp usually? I mean, what, what do they seem to have the hardest time understanding? The hardest thing they understand is maybe the repetitiveness of it. To understand that you're going to see things over and over and over again to not miss stuff. I mean, if you check 40 wheat fields in a one day, it might become monotonous, but each wheat field might have its own challenges. So please understand what you're looking at. But there's simple things, you know, a pigeon grass from a wild oat, that can become challenging sometimes. Volunteer canola from wild mustard, very simple, but sometimes very challenging for a crop scout. 
probably the most challenging thing is to them to see things how I want to see things. And so spending time with them this week is going to be crucial so they appreciate how I might look at a field in my own eyes. And what have they taught you over the years bringing college students in? You know, what have you learned about either yourself or your business or the work you do? I have learned they can become disengaged pretty quickly. You know, there's an age gap now. You know, I used to consider myself one of those kids. I certainly am not one of those kids anymore as a individual in his mid-40s. I am not the 19-year-old freshman in college. And it takes different parts of the business to keep them engaged in checking fields. I sometimes find that I have to ask the questions because they aren't asking the questions I think they should ask. But a lot of that is an experience. But uh, the priority for me is keeping these kids engaged in agronomy. That's great. You're growing a small army of agronomists that have kind of been through your program and now are doing work elsewhere. Yeah. So what they're doing after they're leaving me is I would say a lot of them are taking it home to the farm. I've employed a fair amount of farm kids that uh, I consult for their farm. And they're going back and doing that on their own. Otherwise, they are an agronomist or sales agronomist in the area. And it's fun to see them grow as well. Do you run trials as well? And if so, is there anything uh, interesting that you're trialing you'd want to share about? When we're doing our variable rate, we're writing prescriptions. And so with those prescriptions, the uh, main thing is fertility trials. We'll have our hot streaks, our cold streaks, simply to reinforce our fertilizer program, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what some holes might be. We're doing the same thing with seed, wheat seed, barley seed, nothing in canola this year, but soybeans, edible beans, and sunflowers, we have our population trials. We'll bump them up, we'll bump them down based on soil type, based on where they're located at, uh, based on row spacing, everything matters. And uh, we want to make sure we're using the right amount of fertilizer, and the right amount of seed for our fields. And you mentioned kind of salinity issues earlier, you at least alluded to them. Uh, what are you seeing that works on, on those? Because I know a lot of people are kind of facing similar issues. Yeah, salinity is our number one challenge where I'm located. You know, drought has never been our priority. It's always been the saline soils. And for us, uh, the true fixes have been crop-wise, barley and sunflowers. Those have really helped. Otherwise, it's finding a, a CRP or a grass program to simply retire those acres, get them out of production, and not spend money on those acres. But that doesn't always happen. Guys aren't able to enroll these poor acres into those federal programs. But yeah, so we're managing with barley, sunflowers, canola to a point, but uh, we're finding that wheat and barley and sunflowers are our main fixes for those areas. And does a dry year like this one make those areas quite a bit worse? I mean, just having less water to sort of push the salts down? I don't know. I'm learning. And, and so I, I put on Twitter a while back, these saline spots are confusing me. We still know they're very high in salt. We still know they're still poorly well-drained. The soil itself feels like it normally does, but the barley and wheat are growing through it as well as I've ever seen. So uh, it's telling me, you know, due to capillary rise, the salts all came to the top due to all the wind we had. The salt is simply blowing away, uh, of course, we're in other parts of the field. But uh, this is the best emergence of wheat and barley I've seen in these saline spots right now. That is interesting. It is interesting. I, <laughs> you know, I think it's partly due to the, the true dry fall we had. I think that's part of it. 
But yeah, I, I would have thought due to no moisture that those salts are going to be all on top and nothing was going to germinate. But uh, I'm still learning. Just when you think you have it figured out, right? Right. I'm hopeful we'll see the same things, the same things with other crops. I mean, we're still planting soybeans and pinto beans in parts of these fields where they don't belong. And traditionally, they won't germinate. They won't grow. But uh, I'm hopeful we'll see the same response in those other crops. Well, you know, as you think about the various, you know, technology you're using, where do you still see challenges that tech might help solve? Or where do you see challenges with the tech itself uh, that need to be worked out? So what I see that the tech might help solve, variable rates are the biggest piece. Uh, The one thing I'm not doing a lot of is maximizing wheat and barley populations within a field to improve overall maturity to the finish. You know, I'm seeing other crop consultants, other sales agronomists that are doing that. I'm not there yet. I need to get there. I think the technology will help me get to that point where I'm comfortable writing prescriptions to help these fields evenly mature and, and not lodge. I think the variable rate piece for applying herbicides and fungicides, this is our first year doing that. I think the technology will continue to improve where we were able to apply, you know, 20 gallons per acre in this field and five gallons per acre in this part of the field. This is our first year doing that. We're not doing many fields at all because if we're wrong, I want to be wrong on a small scale, not a large scale. The challenge will still be, does it serve every acre? You know, when things work well, variable rate, you tend to want to do it on every acre. But that is kind of a mistake. You've got to hold the brakes, got to pump the brakes, you got to reevaluate. The tough part in agriculture is that it's a yearly business. You don't get to use this product in June. That sucked. Let's switch it up in July. You don't get that chance. You don't get to see the crop in May and say, well, it didn't work. Let's see this now in June. You get the one shot. And so that's why all the homework we do in the winter months, try to reevaluate our management programs because you only get one crack at it. Let's make sure it's the best chance we get and move forward from there. Well, you know, if you could do like a TED talk, right, to other agronomists around North America, what would your topic be? What would your point be to your agronomy TED talk? It is to be well-prepared. It is to be able to accept you are wrong in agronomy. I, I see too many professionals, like even like myself, too many crop consultants, sales agronomists. This is the way to do it. There are many ways to do things. And that's what I've appreciated from learning from my farmers is that you can use conventional tillage till the end of your career and do it successfully. Other guy, you can use no-till till the end of your career and use it successfully. You can have a crop rotation of wheat and soybeans. That's all you're going to raise and do it very well. There is not one way that's one size fits all. I think people are getting better at understanding that, but I still see people, social media, even extension, this is the way it has to be. And there's parts of the the business that might be like that. When it comes to agronomy, there is definitely not one size fits all. And so I've been trying to absorb as much as I can. And it's important to do that, learn as much as you can. But you still have to take everything in, filter out the bad, still keep things simple, keep things challenging, challenge yourself but you have to be okay with being wrong. You got to learn from your peers. Uh, if I did this by myself every day and just did it, had had my track, my road, boy, my business would go south. I certainly enjoy, you mentioned Jason Hansen. Jason's been a friend of mine a long time and uh, we bounce up off each other a ton. 
We're busy right now, so we haven't caught up in a while, but he and I have a strong relationship, and I, and I speak fondly of him. Uh, I have five, six other crop consultants. I can call on a dime. I'll have my question answered. Same thing. They can call me. I'll answer their question happily because I need their support. So if you're in agronomy, have a support network, whether it's extensions, whether it's your customers, whether it's your peers, have a good support network. You can't do anything yourself. It's great to be the leader, but it's also great to understand that there are other good leaders out there and know what they know and understand what they are trying to, to tell their customers at the same time. That's awesome. Thank you. Other than your, your support group, your network of other uh, crop consultants you talk to, how else do you make sure that you stay on top of all the new information that's out there trying to kind of sort through it? The customer. The customer is always right, is still true today. You know, I, I'm going to meetings, I'm on social media, so are they. They're listening to things on the radio, they're listening to things on podcasts, they're looking at things in the publications, in their magazines. They take a picture with their phone, send it to Mark, what do you think on this? Have you thought of this? Nope, I haven't thought of that. I will today. The farmers provide the challenges and the questions for me to stay on top of things. And, uh, you know, most of the time I like to say, yes, I've thought about it. Yes, I've heard of it. But there are many times where I haven't. So uh, as I want to grow my business, the farmers are growing theirs. They want to make the right decisions for their farm. They're going to ask tough questions. And uh, so my, my group of 50 farms, uh, they'll continue to challenge me this year, next year, the year after that. And they'll keep me in tune with what I need to be in tune with. Well, that was a fun and wide-ranging conversation there with Mark Huso. We were able to fit quite a bit into just 25 minutes or so. So thank you, Mark, very much for taking the time to be on the show. Make sure you go follow Mark over on Twitter. He's at Huso Crop. That's H-U-S-O Crop. We're just getting started here with this podcast, so make sure you subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. I think you should find us on all of them, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. If you would, share this episode with a friend, and if you have any recommendations for guests or topics or questions, tweet them to us by using the hashtag SWAT Agronomy. 